What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Hey, thank you so much, Caden and the worship team for leading us in our uh, worship this morning. Great carols, really good time. Who was at our carols events a couple of weeks ago? Put your hand up if you were at those. Fantastic. Joy is our theme for Christmas this year and we were exploring that in those carols evenings a couple of weeks ago. And uh, uh, if you were here, we were opening up that story of Jesus' birth out of Luke uh, chapter 2. Uh, The verses will come up on the screen here. Uh, The angel is talking to the shepherds uh, who are out watching over their sheep and says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. It's the story of the birth of Jesus as told by Luke. And it mentions this concept of great joy. Joy is our theme, as I said. You know the things that bring you great joy in your own life. Uh, might be a, uh, a walk on the beach in the evening at sunset, a wedding maybe, or a, or a dinner for two, family gatherings uh, where you all get together and hang out, or, or roast potatoes, you might love roast potatoes, they might bring you joy, or an almond latte. Not really a coffee drinker myself, but I'll tell you what does bring me great joy, it's the first motorcycle ride of the season. Okay, there's a few of you who like motorbikes. I, I, uh, I've been riding motorbikes since I was 17. I grew up in Melbourne where winters are long and cold and so you're not necessarily out on your motorbike all that often and the first ride of the season is one that brings great joy. Belinda and I had been married just for a couple of years at this time. I had a Honda uh, CBR 600 and I'd wheeled it out of the garage, organised a couple of mates of mine and I to go for a ride. And I got myself all suited up, the boots, the jacket, gloves and the helmet, and I'm at the edge of the street, hop on the bike, go to start it, and the battery's flat. Yeah, but hey, it's not a major drama, particularly on a motorbike, just leave the ignition on, put it in second gear, and then you can roll start it. You you push the bike, jump on, you pop the clutch, and the motor will turn over and it starts. So out in front of our house, we've got about 70 metre run down to the corner, the quiet street, with a slight, just a very slight descent. And so I get out, I'm on there, got the bike, running along next to it, jump on, pop the clutch, and it almost started. (laughs) Very close. And so I turned around and pushed it back up, what was quite a steep incline now, uh, back up to the house, turn around, and I thought, I'll give it another go, should be right. Off I go again, and this time, it was even closer to starting. And so, push it back up, third time, same result. So 
So I've pushed it back up the hill, all hot and sweaty now, but still keen for the great joy of my first motorbike ride of the season. And I was sitting there wondering what I might do to resolve this challenge. And around the corner came my saviour, or my wife, as she was then known. She was in our station wagon, our Mazda 626. She'd just done the grocery shopping and she pulled up in front of the motorbike. And she opened the back, ready to get the shopping out, which was all in the back. And I said, just wait there for a second. I need you to give me a hand for a minute. I've got an idea. And so Belinda knew me well enough at that point that the look that came across her face was, I don't like this idea. I don't know what the issue is or what the idea is. I just don't like it. I don't want to participate. I said, wait there. I ran into the garage, came back out with a length of this Telstra rope. And I had devised in that short moment of time an ingenious, foolproof, cannot be faulted plan. And so I explained it to my wife like this. You hop back in the car. I'm going to tie this end onto the tow bar on the car. And I'm going to hold, I'm having second gear. I'm going to hold the clutch in on this side and I'll hold the rest of the 15 metres of rope coiled up like this on this hand. And when we get enough speed, I'm going to let go of the rope. I'm going to pop the clutch. The bike will start. I'll go off on my ride. You drive around the block with the rope come back in and then just, you know, pop it away. She then started to verbalise some of those thoughts that were on her face before. This is not a good idea. I don't like it. I don't want to... I'm ready. Let's go. So off we go. And look, as I look back, there's one, there was one small aspect of the plan that had a little, a little gap in it. And the, the problem was, if I'd let go of this rope, which was pulling me along, I had it all curled up, and we're getting the speed, if I hadn't let go of that properly, and it got caught on the handlebars on this side, which is where the accelerator is, and the brake for the motorbike, there's a low percentage, maybe 2 or 3% chance that that would be problematic. Catastrophic, maybe. Because Belinda's driving the car at pace, and if I don't get the rope clear... Anyway, as it happens, the rope didn't get clear of the handlebars. It got caught on the handlebars on that right-hand side. And so I'm doing the... I'm, I'm wide eyes now, looking away as she's driving away. I've let go of the rope. And I'm doing, I'm doing this one, trying to get the rope off the side of the handlebars before it coils up and pulls the brake lever. Anyway, it coils up, right... <laughs> And, and grabs the brake lever. And so down we go, the bike, me, all on the side there, mirror, lights, exhaust, a thousand one-inch scratches down the side of my nice motorbike. No joy for me on that day. You, you know what brings you joy, right? You know what brings you great joy. And this story of Jesus' birth tells us about this gift through Jesus that is about great joy. The benefit of the gospel stories is that we have four accounts that give us insight into the life of Jesus broadly and in particular into his birth. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 2, tells us about 
this picture that's taking place. And he mentions a group of people that nobody else mentions. The Magi, they're called. Zane referred to them before. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star uh, when it rose and have come to worship him. The Magi are a group of people. They are uh, kind of advisors to the king. They live in a pretty privileged environment. They're educated in mathematics, astrology, uh, mystical ways, um, all sorts of uh, information that the king would want. They would gather together in groups, sometimes as small as two or three, sometimes as big as 12, and they would work together as a team. And the Magi have come to be present with Jesus after his birth to bring gifts. We don't know how many... Uh, Magi were present. We know that there were three gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. So we assume that there might have been three, but it could have been two, could have been 12, we don't know. But what we do know is that these guys represented people who were in the privileged space of the first century. They had access, they had wealth, they had knowledge, they had access to those that made decisions and people of influence. When you think about the coming Messiah, the person of Jesus, this is the group that you would think it was for, the people who are going to make decisions and change the course of history. It seemed reasonable that these guys would participate and they were present here at Jesus' birth. But Luke hones in on a different group of people. In Luke chapter 2, he tells us about other people that were present. The shepherds. The shepherds were out in their flock, uh, tending their sheep, keeping watch over their flocks at night. You know, sheep were a big part of the first century culture. Uh, everyone had access to sheep. Wealthy people had sheep uh, and poorer, regular citizens had sometimes two or three sheep and they would have them in their home, etc., etc. Managing sheep was not uh, a big deal in the most part, particularly during wetter months or the spring seasons when there's plenty of feed around. But when you get to the drier times, when there's not much feed around, they became a bit of a handful. And so what you had to do, particularly if you were a small family who had just a few sheep, you would have to take them out of your area, out of your family zone, to find feed for them. So you'd go out into the countryside uh, and you would just let them sort of eat, eat grass and, and feed a bit further out of town. And so the process for a family would be that the son would manage that process. He would handle taking the sheep out for a day or two, sometimes a week, sometimes months on end they would take the sheep out. And if you were a small community, you would have a few neighbours that you would partner with. So the sons would gather together and they'd take their sheep out and have one bigger herd and then they would have one keep eye on, on the sheep overnight. The other boys would sleep and then the other one would have a, a shift of three or four hours to keep watch over their sheep. That was the process. This was not a particularly desired kind of uh, sort of employment space for anybody and it was not really recognised. It was a very dirty, isolating, lonely kind of environment. Not a lot of education, not a lot of profile. A stark contrast to what's going on over here. We see this play out really clearly in the life of King David. Uh, back in the Old Testament, the book of Samuel, uh, Samuel the prophet comes to anoint David as the king the new king of Israel. 
She's the son of Jesse. And so he goes to Jesse's house and says, where are your sons? One of them will be the king, the new king of Israel. And so Jesse parades his sons through. He had eight sons. But he didn't bring David out because David was out in the fields tending the sheep. This is the job of the youngest son. The son or the youngest son. The brothers had to go and fetch him and bring him in and say, hey, here's David, and then he's anointed. It's an exact picture of what's going on here. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then verse 10, this takes place. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The angel said to them, it's a quite a spooky sort of situation here. There's a voice, a, a visual, a visible being, uh, a glow in the sky, quite scary. Uh, George, one of our staff here, uh, showed me a picture during the week of a biblically accurate picture of what would have taken place here. She said, do you want to use this? And I said, I looked at it for a while and said, oh, we've got the kids in. I don't think we will. It's actually a really scary kind of image. A natural response would be to be afraid in that scenario. The shepherds are out in the field and they are petrified. But the angel says, don't be afraid. Has that ever worked, by the way? (laughs) That phraseology? Hey, 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 calm down. You just need to calm down. Oh, okay, thank you, I'll calm down. Does that ever... Anyway, the angel says, don't be afraid. I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. It's fine. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Good news. Great joy. Webster says this in his dictionary about um, what joy is. The emotion evoked by well-being, success or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Collins says the emotion of a great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying, keen pleasure or elation. That's what I was looking forward to on that first ride on the, uh, after winter, but it didn't come to pass. What Luke 2 is speaking here about in terms of great joy is much deeper and more significant than what you experience as an emotional hit of joy that you might get from a walk on the beach or an almond latte. It's a very different experience. It comes from a real depth and a real soul space. That's what the angel is telling the people, the shepherds, in this moment. The Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, about a third of the New Testament... He describes what happens when somebody um, lives out this picture that's being spoken of here in Luke chapter 2, where the the coming Messiah becomes your saviour. You receive him as your saviour, your king and your lord. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Galatians 5. He says, the fruit of the spirit, the presence of God within you, So this connection that is being offered to you and I by God through Jesus at his birth. This is is the precursor to what's coming. He says when that happens, the fruit or the evidence of that taking place is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love and it's evidenced or seen 
by joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Love is the fruit of the Spirit and then these other attributes live out of that. The arrival of the Messiah, of Jesus, it's good news, right? Because he will give you access to not only the salvation that you and I need from God, but also the kind of life that you and I long to live. The fruit of this partnership with Jesus is joy, great joy, deep joy, lasting joy. Now, I don't need to tell you that if you've lived life long enough, there will be some things that happen to you or that come across your path that will test that sense of joy in your life. It's source or it's depth, maybe. Life's not all roast potatoes and almond lattes, is it? For some here, those challenges that come our way, the difficulties that come across our path, they make us think that it somehow proves that God doesn't love us, that he doesn't care for us, that he's not for us. Maybe even you think some of those challenges that you've faced have proved to you that God doesn't even exist. That leaves you with a feeling of emptiness. Rather than having a sense of great joy, you might have a sense of great disappointment in God and who he is and what he represents. But actually, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy that we talked about just before who wrote this stuff at Galatians, talked about this picture. He wrote this in a book called Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, or it's the same root word, we have joy in hope of the glory of God. And, and not only that, but we also, glory, same root word, have joy in our tribulations or our battles, the challenges we face. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The picture of that would be like this glass being you and this jug being full of water. God, he's pouring out his love in the midst of those trials and tribulations, the battles that you and I face, pouring out his love. The vessel that is you is nowhere near a match for what he can offer and supply to you through this partnership that comes about through Jesus. So even in the midst of the challenges you and I face, we can see that God is present and loves us because he pours out his love into our lives. That's the picture that Luke is describing when he's thinking about this concept of the good news of Jesus arriving is going to bring you great joy. There is joy that can be found on a walk on the beach or a roasted carbohydrate, right? That's possible, but it lasts only a moment. It's fleeting. But the joy that God offers you through the Messiah, 
through all of life's ups and downs is one that is deep and lasting, driven from the soul. And the better news is, or the, 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 the great news alongside it is, no matter whether you are from this camp over here, the privileged, the access, the wealthy and the influential, or you're out here in the, in the paddock by yourself, lonely and dirty, it's for all people. That's the good news of Jesus' gift to us in himself in terms of not just salvation but the life you want to live. Hey, my prayer for you today, which I'll pray in just a moment, is that you would find deep and lasting joy, great joy this Christmas, not in the things that you open when you get home, that last just momentarily or maybe with a 12-month warranty, with an extended warranty optional, but in the person of Jesus where great joy is to be found. My prayer is that you would find that this Christmas. Hey, let me pray and then our team are going to come and lead us in a couple of final carols, two more carols. Really looking forward to that. Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful that we can be here today uh, just together uh, in a beautiful part of the world to celebrate your birth, the birth of Jesus, the gift of salvation, but a gift that brings great joy to us, gives us the life that we so desperately want to live. We thank you that joy is not so fleeting that it can't be accessed during times of difficulty, but you provide that to us through the love that is poured out through Jesus, through your spirit into our lives. We thank you and I just ask that you would help us connect with that uh, today uh, in this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.